I'm here with Hannah Jane Smith, who is a mental health campaigner and also a number of other things to do with mental health. <laughs> Would you like to try and list those off? No, <laughs> I don't. I just said, I just don't know who I am. Um, existential crisis, um, a campaigner, public speaker, advocate, writer, well-being, goodness. <laughs> Attempting. <laughs> All of those things. <laughs> so what is, what is well-being done well? Yeah, so Wellbeing Done Well is my company that is slowly coming together. Um, got to do all the admin for it, but uh, it's taken off quite quite nicely. I go into any avenue that will have me, and so far that's been universities, private talks, corporate, charity, prisons, schools. Um, and I go in there with the idea to share a no-nonsense view on well-being. And I see so many things that aren't done quite right and um, or are done in a very tick-boxy way. I try and break that mould and come into a balance. Um, I don't want to start wafting sage around the place and I also don't want to start giving you yoga lessons but still getting you to do 12-hour days at your at your desk. I'm trying to reach that middle ground um, from a lived-in rather than professional experience. So I guess the hardest thing is that I try very hard, at, I have to try quite hard to get through the door um, of these businesses because I don't have PhD by my name or doctor um, and then as soon as I am through the door they say ah that's exactly what was needed because you're not here to tick the box and you know what it's like um, you know I don't have all the sciencey answers but I do do my research and ensure that it's it's valuable um, and I speak I think from the horse's mouth as it were because I've seen a few of your speeches and you speak very candidly and openly about your personal experience and the way that audiences respond to that is very, it's like there's a video on YouTube of you speaking yes. to NIPS and the audience at the end you open it up to questions and they just, a few of them don't even ask you questions, they just thank you for being so open and so down to earth about the problem right. rather than just listing off scientific facts and talking about chemicals in the brain and stuff you're just saying I felt like this yeah and without the help of these people I would be you know suffering still yes and I think yeah that from the horse's mouth as you say is a, a very important way to talk about these things yeah thank you I'm very like very fortunate with the responses I've got I, I always love to try and I'm like give me something to work on what do I need to <laughs> what do I need to improve um but for whatever reason this kind of balance in between because I do go into the science of it all because I I don't like the idea of entirely holistic um I like this cross-continuum model of psychosocial and medical I like the idea of of it being everything that I've experienced, which I have since the age of four. So I've done medicines. I've done really crazy out there things as well. I've had electric pulses on my toes. I've, uh, and I was like, what are you doing? Um, 
so that didn't quite work um there's there's this middle ground and there's this constant and it's all about consistency and hard work that people really are losing sight of you cannot buy a cream or a drug and and that be that you really have to work hard i think that personal experience that was quite hard and um quite long um addresses that there's hope and that you have to push I think as well the sort of tailored experience from one person to the next is different for everyone and you, it, the fact that you're talking about all the things you've tried yes. will make people understand that there's not going to be one answer for them yes. and they're yeah. going to have to find the thing that makes them feel better, makes them cope with things. Yes. And you're talking about speaking at corporate events and at universities but I thought prisons as well. That's an interesting one, and I was wondering what you, how you approach something like that. Yeah, um, it is so funny, isn't it? That you, you often, I often get through my. I have a small social, um, on online social presence, and they're just like, could you talk about this specifically, as in men's mental health, for example, because it was an all males present I went to, and I say, I, it's very similar. It's just the societal pressures that we have upon um, the gender that makes it different. I, um, I understand. I, I think I understand it as this. So how did I come across it? I just spoke to them again as, as the first thing I said was I, I broke down all those walls by telling them exactly what went on with me so that there was this level grounding so that I wasn't preaching and so that I was able to be relate relatable in some way because I understand that our lives are incredibly, incredibly different. And when I went into the room the first time, the tutor that had me there um, was like, that you'll tell and they'll eat you alive with it. If they don't trust you, you're gone. And I thought, oh, Jesus. That's a nice way to break you in, isn't it? <laughs> I was going through all these locked doors and all these people with massive keys and it is, you know, it's... it's the environment is stale. The um, it, it's, it's it's scary, and uh, and then you get told that, and then you walk in, and the, the, you know these men are some aren't stereotypical at all. In fact, the first person that I had at my very first session, I shook his hand and I said, "Oh, I'm 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 the I'm the teacher here today. What what do you do in the prison?" He said, "Oh, sorry, miss, I'm an inmate." I was like, my gosh, <laughs> like you look like my friends, and and that really, and then I went, I went, I went cold, and I realised the stereotype doesn't have to exist, and then of course the stereotype also did exist as well. These six foot five, um, so, huge, huge men, um, they were like, you're right, and I was like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm all right. <laughs> Tell me in an hour, but. Um, uh, what I will say is they were all the nicest, most engaging group I've ever had. Uh, very emotionally intelligent, actually. And I broke it down with my story. Then I gave them men's mental health stats that I knew from good, reputable sources. And then I opened it up to try and get them to open up. And what I see humans is is very mirroring. Uh, it's, it's it's a basic thing that we we are mirrored images. If you look up and smile, the chances of a reciprocated smile are a lot stronger. It's how I tend to live my life. If you look up and growl at everyone, unfortunately, you're probably going to have quite a bad day. And um, so I always approach my work with being 
deadly honest and deadly open and it tends to get the best results so that's how I did it and I worked around them and I did some games with them um, about breaking stigma about turning the fact that you could be why is anxiety seen as all these negatives has these negative connota- uh, connotations attached when it's made me empathetic and quite brave and quite strong at times so I try and twist it on its head try and keep the hope did you open the floor up to questions and things like that in prison? Yes, always, yeah. Because I, yeah, I just find it fascinating to hear that people who are in prison, the way prisons are portrayed on TV and in, you know, in documentaries and things, you, I can't imagine... Them opening up. Yeah, it, mm. doesn't, it doesn't seem like the right environment for that kind of thing. But it's, um, you sort of get to the stage where you can open up yourself so much that they feel that it's okay to do the same. Yes, and they were very careful with what they said, and I I did see that. They were very, uh, and it got less careful, but they have to be careful because they're consistently watched. I mean, they are let down by the system that we have in place. It's just ridiculous. It just doesn't work. But I'm not here to talk about system, and that's another thing. (laughs) With my mental health campaigning, I get very angry with people just saying the system, and it is corrupt and it is awful, but I can't change that. It's me, myself, and I. What I can do is do those grassroots things. And that, so that's what we focused on. And what I will, I will tell you a story that I tell a lot of people, actually. I always say, to start it off, I always say, could you put your hands up if you think you have a mental health? It's kind of a trick question. Um, the fact is, everyone has a mental health, as does everyone have a, a, a physical health. And everyone bar one person put their hand up. I went into a corporate session with a lot of directors once. And I said, could you put your hands up if you think you have a mental health? And not one of them, well, well a couple of them put their, their hands up. And I said, what you've denied there is that you have a mind. <laughs> because everyone has a mental health, it just has a huge stigma attached to it. But what I saw with these men in these positions is that they, like I said, emotionally aware and willing to give me quite a bit and ask questions about me because they found me a little bit interesting my silly Mary Poppins voice and then (laughs) um, coming out with a huge a few hard-hitting things and um, I remember saying out of like I guess a defense for me I was like I'm a senior grade uh, martial artist (laughs) like as in don't fuck with me sorry can I swear I don't know Uh, don't mess with me and um, they all giggled and and they but they were like fair one <laughs> they loved it <laughs> and they were so excited and to be honest it's my favorite session yet oh, very engaging if someone was to see a picture of you attached to this they might recognize you because you were on an episode of first dates yes <laughs> and you can watch that first date on youtube yeah um which i did in research for this episode and you even under, un, in that situation, you're sat op- opposite a stranger in a room of strangers filming you, bright lights and the camera in your face. Right. And you're still able to articulate your feelings and talk about some very serious things. Right. And I was just wondering if you, when you were on that, were you sort of feeling that this was a great idea to talk openly about that? Or did they prompt you into talking about that? Or how did that come about? No, um, I love that question. That, that, that... Th- that first date is very who who I am, and and everyone will say that's who I am. And there are element different elements of me, but I think the thing with my um, with I don't like the word disorder, but but it is um, 
the thing with what I have, the anxiety that I have, is from a childhood. And I have the most loving family and also very aware, and they knew that something had to change. So from a very young age, I've had to sit for every week in front of a different professional and explore my emotions. And I must say that I, I hugely am thankful and grateful for the past that I have because I have no problem with telling anyone about anything that they want to know. You can ask any question um, as, deep as, as deep as you like. And if I'm not in the mood, I, I have my boundaries in place, but it doesn't affect me. Um, and people think it's an overshare, but I really think an overshare is very relative um, to how you're feeling. You, if you're oversharing for sympathy, empathy or attention, then I'd recommend that it's wrong. Um, because you won't get what you want out of it. That'll come from a lot of hard work within yourself, but or like a trophy for doing well in mental health and mm-hmm. raising... If, if you're looking for a trophy, you can piss off, as far as I'm aware. But if you're looking for it from a truth and honest background, um, it's not an overshare at all. And for me, it does not bother me at all because I, I've had to do it all my life. So that... That episode, there were a few times when they were like, could you ask about that? But I don't think the anxiety was probed because um, I just spoke about it because that really is life. If they think that's too deep for a first date, I'll say you're too shallow and walk away. Yeah, so it's quite. It was quite natural. That was. It was cut up. It was. When it says um, I have a severe anxiety, I was actually speaking about the time I smashed someone's heart into pieces. But they clearly wanted me to look a lot more innocent, (laughs) (laughs) so they cut the bit there. But it's all genuine. Um, They didn't actually. At the beginning, they made me say, "I like boys that are into the arts." I don't necessarily have to like that. because um, um, poetry, I didn't, uh, I didn't necessarily need that in my life. Um, but they, but I see why, why they. Why, said, why do you think they put that in there? I, because it ties in. Because he's a spoken word. He was a spoken word artist, uh. um, and he did spoken word, and it was all very word related. That it, it was a clever way of of building a. Br- they build a brand for an individual. But I must say, um, people have had terrible experiences on that program, um, but mine was very looked after, and I'm very very thankful for how they how they did it that 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 is me yeah and that was a really nice thing as well because having been on that program you got a bit more attention on your instagram and you got which wasn't the idea it was private my instagram was private and i hated um i hated using hashtags i used to take if you see my very very early posts they're they're think they're just taking the mickey out of hashtags i used to think it was awful and there's an element where i still think oh my god hashtag fit fam like what the <laughs> hell um but i had to i i had to no i didn't have to i chose to open it up because i got about 500 messages like messages that i never thought were I went on lockdown for a month. I didn't put my socials on on public for a month after, and I had these things waiting in my inbox from minutes that I was aired, um, and I refused to join in on it mm. because I, 
it wasn't the idea. I've, I've done it before. I, I've been doing mental health stuff since I was tiny, and I've been involved in the system since I was four. My first lecture was at 16, so it's not that I was doing it for that, um, but it started this beautiful community on Instagram that I have now, and I'm, I'm very, very happy for it. Because I was going to say, you're, you sort of give people life updates on there and what you're up to and how you're dealing with things and it sort of sparks off conversations and yes. if you're getting people message you personally and that kind of thing I think that's another way that you can make a difference in a very modern way exactly you kind of you can't really fight it yeah um but you know I, I will never forget I had a horrible person in my life that said your job will never be as important as mine he was an engineer just FYI if you just go on tinder you can find another engineer in a few seconds <laughs> everyone i went on dates with was an engineer so um i'm sure they could replace you quite easily <laughs> although it's a very it's a very good job but um and that day i sat there going what am i doing because you know that thought process really did get into my head when someone that you cared for said something like that even if it was just flippant um and then someone um wrote to me saying just to let you know your fun stories got me out of bed even if it was 7 p.m i i got out of bed thank you and i'm sorry but there you are i'm i'm, I'm carrying on yeah yeah good for you thank you <laughs> speaking of life updates though mm. you are how many weeks oh this makes me look like an awful pregnant person, which I am. <laughs> All these women roll off the days and the weeks. 30, 31, nearly 32 weeks. 32 weeks I, pregnant. I don't think I've got long left, is, yeah. is what that means. <laughs> <laughs> this has given you another challenge with mental health. Yes. Because... We're all aware of the huge changes the female body goes through when it's pregnant. Um, and I wanted to, yeah. So what's your experience been since you've been pregnant with your mental yeah, health? Yeah, yeah. I would actually argue that no one actually does really know. Um, and that's where the whole twist has come in. Um, <laughs> educated uh, people that understand um, do. And it's really refreshing when you come across people that ask you how you feel, not that where's the bump i mean i it's been hard mm. the first three months you have an uproar of of hormones and and can i just say that i was one of those people that didn't have a clue um it was it is a very poor representation um of women going through pregnancy and again it is dulled down if you only knew the consequences that you can have and some people do just flow through it um, and have a beautiful time from start to finish I can tell you for now this is very rare mm. um, the women on the packet smiling holding their massive bump isn't doing us <laughs> any service at all to take these vitamins um, the first three months huge hormonal uproar also you because it becomes a reality. I've wanted children all my life, not necessarily, certainly not at the time that I fell pregnant or before. Um, you realise how quickly it will change your every element of your life. And you sit there, and I sat on that sofa there, um, and I just stared at the ceiling because the, the fatigue that I experienced and the sickness, but not being sick, so it being lodged in my throat for 24 hours. It's not morning sickness. 
that angers me. That does a disservice again. Um, well, I suppose some people do get it just in the morning, but it was 24 hours a day, and it has been for the majority of women that I've spoken to. It's lumped in your throat. It never comes up, um, except when I try to clean the kitchen. But the smells got too strong, so I threw up bile in my kitchen oh, sink. No. And when you live alone at that time, my partner hadn't moved in. It was a new relationship, although we'd been together um, as friends for 10 years. Otherwise, this would not be happening personally. Um but you know when it's when it's right, you're you're able to conquer these things. There are so many things I had to write a blog about it in the end because there are so many things. The secrecy because you're at a twenty five percent risk of miscarriage within the first twelve weeks. You're told not to tell many people at all. Now I don't have a small group of best friends. I have beautiful singular best friends and a couple of groups of best friends that would mean me telling an awful lot of people and so I had to keep it very very quiet um which isn't my forte (laughs) and being an online presence Mm -hmm. saying I feel sick but not having to say why was awful I found it very hard to tell my family which I'm almost always telling my family yeah I found that very interesting that in your blog you wrote that your family were almost the last to know Yes. And yeah, why was that? It was an element of a lot of things. One, I'm very much the little girl. Um, I've always been extra looked after because of what we ha- what we went through, but also I am the youngest sibling. My older sister um, doesn't have children, so no one in our immediate family who we adore one another, it, 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 we haven't been through that together yet. I have found an awful lot of pressure within, my se- within myself. And I didn't want to let them down. And that sounds ridiculous. Um, but um, for me, it's, it would have felt like I would have let them down. And I, I think that's because they're traditional. Um, they were married. And then it was systematic. It was three years after they were married. And then three years again with me. It was all mm. very organised and very well done. And that, and I'm in a one-bed apartment getting pissed every weekend. <laughs> Um, with a brand new incredible relationship and yeah. it just didn't quite fit how maybe how I saw it or maybe so it how they a, see it. a bit of a shock for you, for all a of huge you. Huge shock, yeah. yes. And um, coming to terms with a huge change is very difficult for my anxiety as well. Um, and it was beautiful, but also I had all these other feelings. I thought I was supposed to feel joy. Uh, it didn't come very quickly. And then that scared me as well. The idea of not connecting with a child, oh, it brings me, I, I, can't, I get quite choked just thinking about mm. that. And that is actually very normal. Mm. But again, that voice is lost. So you had to do a lot of learning and, and also I had to stop all the things that I love doing. The exercise, the relentless going out and doing things. It all came to a ground halt and it hasn't actually gone back to normal since. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I give myself. I'm quite a hard. I give myself quite a hard time, um, so it doesn't help. You realise that when you go through situations like this. Um, you know, I've. Ne- I couldn't be happier with the news, um, but it doesn't come easy, mm. and I think that's the balance. You actually got involved with doing a PhD study. Mm. in that you were the subject of one. Yes. Um, could you tell me what happened? Because that didn't actually go that well, did it? No. She rang me up on my birthday. Of course, she didn't know it was my birthday, but she said... Uh, and you get this a lot 
with the science side of people in mental health. They are so engrossed in their studies, and so should they be, and we couldn't be without them. They forget the human. And um, they were like, so just want to let you know that you've qualified for low mood. <laughs> you qualified, congratulations. Qualified. congratulations. <laughs> I was like, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we'd like to put you through the study. There are a number of things that um, that were factors. I, was, I already seek help for um, um, professional psychological help from a relationship that I came out of previous to the relationship that I'm in now and also consequently relationships before that um, and other things. So I was in therapy already, which made them, you know, I was on the borderline of will they, ex will they accept me um, or not for this study? So there was a few questions there as to why it didn't go through, but as a whole, I just thought qualifying for low mood, and then I thought, I don't, I, it was all done on hours of scales, on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel on a scale of, and I thought, why is this, and I turned to her and I said, the system hasn't changed, and I felt so sad. Hmm. because when my childhood I was just putting tick boxes and we've got to change it um it doesn't work and it was making me very angry um of course I qualify for low mood I've had to stop absolutely everything that I love um honestly everything uh I was three weeks away from a a black tag grading for taekwondo that I'd worked for three and a half years. Now that sounds like a very first world problem and I'm sure it is, but that three, three and a half years was the happiest, most strongest. He gave me so much more than just being a sport. It, it was everything and I wasn't even allowed in the hall to train, let alone three weeks away from taking that pass and I couldn't do it. Um, and that's how I get my like that's how I enjoy my mm. life is those things um my friend I didn't feel as connected to my friendships because I none of my friends have gone through it none of my best friends have gone through it and also I couldn't tell them the I couldn't tell them mm. and they were miles away <laughs> a lot of them of course it's, and what I what I decided not to take part in is because that system is still not disregarding the basic elements of a human social need that's it. I'm sorry. It's nothing to diagnose me with. I don't need any further help right now. I don't need any drugs pumped into me. And this is what I find really difficult about my profession, about my mental health profession. People love to live by a label. You did not need to label me that. I have just had a bit of a hard time. That's it. We're humans. And the best thing about one of the studies that I love to look at is that it's scientifically, you only get happiness for three days. That could be the birth of your first baby, to your wedding day, to the, just one of those days where you're just like, life is good. When the sun's shining, when you're on Brandon Hill in Bristol, and you think, my, and I've got great friends at the beer, uh, beer house, you know, beer garden, it's just great. This only scientifically can physically last up to three days on average. That's a scary figure. Where, where does that come well, from? I don't, it was one of the studies that I saw and one of the things yeah. that my psychologist said. It is a scary figure. <laughs> but it's only scary if you're constantly after happiness, which is wrong because we need to feel every emotion. So we should actually, we can't be happy 24 hours a day. 
but what our society is 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 obsessed with is to be happy how do we do that how do we be happy well you're actually missing those happy moments because you're googling how to be happy um and you're you're labeling yourself constantly and giving yourself an identity just go to the gym just take a walk just eat an apple just lie in your bed and cry just be a human being <laughs> All of those uh, in that order. Yeah. That's one <laughs> that one day planned out for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but obviously I'm talking about the very low minor scale. And it is scale, it's fluid. There are times when interception, interception needs to come in, it, come in. You know, you need help. And I've been there as well. But that really angered me. And so I decided to pull out of that. Have you been working in... Yes, the... I'll, I'll work until I pop, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so everything that you see is... Um, so I've done some work for online TV channel, Channel Mum, and that was five months pregnant. Um, I've done two corporate events in London at some of the uh, the biggest media advertising companies in the world, and that was with a baby in my tummy, so she's been with me everywhere. And I hope she continues to do that. For now, I am slowly buckling down, although I've got enough energy to carry on, hopefully, until I, until I pop. Um, and then, but I really have to try and turn that focus inwards as much as possible to deal with the upheaval that, that will be, the great upheaval, but you can't disregard mm. that it takes over every thought process that I have and it makes things quite a bit difficult. Um, I would like to focus on my on my speaking and get a website up and do all the admin bits that I can do from the sofa that I didn't have the time before because I was out and about. Mm. So trying to get that balance and trying to make a home for our family and really like give myself time for that um, so that I'm able to come back kicking and screaming. That's the idea. <laughs> but I understand that that takes a lot of like foundation work beforehand. How can we find you online? Mm-hmm. Um, a very rude, cheeky version of myself can be found um, on Instagram at Hannah Jane, J-A-Y-N-E underscore 1990. Um, and there you'll be able to get a link to my email and that's where you can have a chat um, with me if you ever want me to come into whatever whatever realm that you're from. I, I cater for all. And that's really where I am at the minute. But... Hopefully watch this space because I'll have more time to actually do the ad mini bits as well. <laughs> so okay. website pending. Okay, well, thanks a lot for talking to me, Hannah. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.